As we get into our business wrap for this evening, a very warm welcome to you, Makwe Masilela, Founder and Chief Investment Officer at Makwe Fund Managers. So good to be talking to you once again. Good evening to you, Tammy. How are you keeping? Same here. Yes, keeping well and keeping warm. You should see me dressed up here in the studio. I, I tell you, there's not a scarf I don't have on. There's not a jacket I don't have on. But I must say, I, I'm a sissy when it comes to the cold. I like to keep it warm. But look, let's get straight into the business of the day. Time Bank making some big moves there. I think it's a brilliant move. You know, even though the share price, the owner of African Rainbow Capital didn't react to the news because it closed down 0.8%. Remember, Time Bank, they started by just offering, you know, to the so-called unbanked, you know, but now they're gradually growing and they've got a business line. And so far, I think they've got over 100,000. So now you've got a retail capital that they intend to acquire. And remember, this is the leading fintech funder for small uh, and medium enterprises. And Tammy, we know very well that those kind of businesses, because they don't have decent or deep pockets or uh, healthy balance sheet, usually they struggle when it comes to raising funding. So now retail capital so far has provided more than 5.5 billion, and that is to more than 43,000 of business owners in South Africa since 2011. So this offering it will definitely help a time bank when it comes to their business banking clients. And we know that other than that, you know, uh, the guys will also be, what you call it, the lending expertise being combined with time bank deposit base and operations that will help to serve a product customer base. Because now time bank, they've got deposits, and we know that the money that the bank is lending out is mainly depositors' money. So they won't struggle going forward to be able to raise capital. So yes, they will be taken as a subsidiary, provided they meet all the competition approval. But I guess it's a wise move when it comes to Time Bank. So they are buying Time Bank, that is. They are buying uh, the SME-focused retail capital. Tell us a bit more about retail capital and what it is that they bring to the table, why they are such a, um, I guess, a desirable offering for Time Bank. You know, uh, as we said, they're going to be a division of the bank and they'll form the foundation of its expanded business banking offering. And as we said, the transaction will support the time bank offering to its business banking client and it will also see retail capital lending expertise being combined with that deposit page. But the guys they've just managed to lower the barriers for funding that is retail capital when it comes to small and medium enterprises through a three-step online application process. And as I said earlier, so far 5.5 billion has been lent out to more than 43 business owners, and that was since 2011. And we know Tanben currently has over 5 million individual customers, but more than 100,000 business banking customers. So they're Guys will also now have access to that captured market, which is the 100,000 business banking customers that the guys have now. Unfortunately, we don't know how much will the transaction cost them. But so far, I don't think it will be that exorbitant. 
What Time Bank is doing with this acquisition is they are now pitting themselves literally against uh, the uh, the big four lenders, the big traditional banks, as well as Capitec, uh, African <coughs> Bank also plays in that space, and Sasfin also plays in that space. But what differentiates Time Bank from its competitors? Uh, Time Bank, uh, because it's more of a think tank bank, you know, more than the other ones, if we have to say so because we know that everything, they try to do everything in such a way that they comply to the, what do you call it, a digital way of doing stuff. So that's good for them. And also simplifying the process. We know this whole thing of filling up forms, waiting for so long to get approvals. It gets to be annoying sometimes, especially for small, medium enterprises, because those are individual entrepreneurs. They need to focus on doing what they know best. So this whole issue of raising money, getting capital here and there, sometimes it becomes a big issue for them. So for them to simplify things, and we've seen in the other banks, the likes of Capitec, the minute you start simplifying stuff, that makes it a very attractive offering. And also reducing the time when it comes to approvals, that's what people want to go forward. And so far, given that the guys, that really, that's when it comes to that, that is the retail capital that will fit well when it comes to time bank because they are a fintech bank as well, or you can call them a fintech lender. You, you mentioned in our conversation a bit earlier on that this acquisition, or at least the announcement of it, did not really make a dent on the, the share price of time bank. Why is that so? Because they are planning to, you know, they are proposing to try to acquire retail capital so they still have to finalize other issues and more importantly they need to get the approval of the competition authorities because for them to announce that they're planning it means they're happy with their due diligence they think it's going to make a proper fit when it comes to them so i think up until they go you know, over that hurdle of competition authorities, then I think maybe that's when people will see it more as a done deal. And remember, as they go through this, there's a potential that other guys can oppose this transaction to go forward. As you mentioned, other players in the field. And yes, we know as it stands now, chances are it might be approved on certain conditions. But as it is, I don't see that having issues when it comes to competition authorities because time bank as it is now is not beat when it comes to that kind of market. It's only now that they're trying to grow their business clients. So in my opinion, I see this as a done deal, especially if the guys agree on the price and terms and conditions that might follow. Now, moving on to the issue, Mark, of Bain and company, they've been banned uh, from the UK government contracts for a period of three years over the role that they played in uh, the state capture and SARS. And all of this was based on what came out of the state capture report, as well as advocacy, uh, you know, from Ethel Williams, as well as um, as, as well as Hain. Uh, tell us about how this impacts Bain and, and company and what the market reaction has been to this. I think generally people are happy. And remember, they are three years started on the 4th of January, because, as we said, it will be retrospectively applied. And I think it's a good move generally when it comes to business confidence to see that people are dealing with companies that have done wrong things before. We know that Bain, they still have to respond to this and see if they cannot put this decision on review. But as it is now, we know Bain, they've been continuing to do good business 
not just in the UK, but also around the world. Just as an example, the guys, they've got the UK public sector contracts worth around $1.3 billion, that is since 2018. And then as it is now, one of the ones that people know about is that $810 million, uh, contract that they got for Brexit consulting work for the cabinet office. But that will mean people have to start taking people who have done wrong things to account. And accounting here is not just for people to say, sorry, we made a mistake, we'll pay back the money. We know as it stands now, Spain they've paid back almost $217 million back to SARS. But that was not enough, you know, because these people they end up not admitting that they were wrong. And I think people are continuing to lobby that the likes of the U.S. might must, must as well look into the whole issue and do something about pain. And we know back home here, people have been making the right noises that, no, 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 these guys need to be blacklisted. We know other guys who were mentioned on the state capture, the likes of KPMG, they just apologized for their mistakes. The likes of McKenzie managed to pay back over 600 million, stuff like that. But it's not enough because these guys can afford the time to pay back the money. The question is going forward, what needs to be done? And I think this will be an example as well to other players. But guys, gone are the days where you'll just say, I'm sorry, then pay back the money and you continue as business as usual. It doesn't work like that. Tell me, remember, we had people back home here fixing the price of bread. Those companies are still operating, let alone the issue about the banks who've been fixing the likes of the rent. And you can imagine the implications thereof. But those companies, as we're talking today, is business as normal, they apologized, and that's it. And remember, their apology is not admission of guilt as well. So generally, I think it's opening up eyes for other people who are trying or thinking of doing stuff like that. And also it shows that companies or countries are serious about tackling this whole thing of companies which are not business, doing business the wrong way. I mean, you can mention so many businesses coming like before. The likes of Glencoe, you know, they just admitted and paid the fine. But that they continue to work as normal. So banning them, I think, is critical. And I think the three years it is too lenient, unless if other countries also join, so that the pain they can feel that heat, that not what we've done is definitely wrong, we have to pay for this. And pain is not just to pay back the money, but also to suffer when it comes to future business. Now, there is the issue here, uh, Makwe, of political will. And that is something that the likes of the United Kingdom have demonstrated. How has South Africa fared? So far, We've done badly on that part, and I think this will continue now to put more serious pressure on our government to do something serious about it, that this whole thing cannot just be left like that. They've done the same thing also when it comes to construction companies. They paid some fines, stuff like that, but the guys are continuing to operate. But yes, that political will, it will have to change at some point. And remember, with the UK as well, initially the guys were reluctant to fight. The guys that side continued to put pressure so that, and then I think it was a lot Peter Hay 
who was put in that kind of a pressure, you know, one of the anti-apartheid campaigners. Then here it is finally happening. So it means that come here, we should continue to put the right pressure. Then we should be able to get something going forward because this is just so wrong to grow such a big company or to find that you've been growing a company in a wrong way. You can even mention the likes of Steinhoff that what is happening now. The guys have come to a global settlement that they will pay. But what happened to the people who lost almost 96% or so of the value of their money, those who invested in Stanhoff? The current CEO is still out there. Apparently, our law enforcement agencies are still struggling to get that case to court. So we have to have not just the political will, but also to have the capability and the capacity as law enforcement agencies to be able to tackle cases like that. And this can be done. Let's look at the reaction of business leadership South Africa here and how they have traditionally and historically dealt with the likes of you know, KPMG, with the likes of Bain. What, what does that say about the, the will from the, the business sector itself, from the big corporates? I mean, in April of 2021, Bain was reinstated into business leadership South Africa and Bain had to withdraw themselves later on because business leadership South Africa just simply wouldn't. Those are double standards and I think they should be ashamed of, them, of themselves, you know, that they continue as business to preach that the government is doing things wrong, stuff like that, you know, all the corruption that is happening in the public sector, but they don't look at their own. And the minute uh, there's corruption, as an example, in the public sector, then who's doing business with the public sector? It's not the public sector, it's the private sector. And we know that it takes two to tango. So that's very shameful of them that the guys were even have to be forced People had to make the noise that why are you still having these people as your members? And here you are, you see yourself as a very critical stakeholder when it comes to this whole issue of trying to fight corruption. But when it comes to your own members, you are reluctant, you have to be convinced. Instead, they should be leading this whole issue because, tell me a simple example, private sector is the one which is doing business with the public sector. So if we say there's corruption in the public sector, then automatically it says the private sector is involved. And that brings us to a very you know, important question, Markwe. And, and I'd like to throw this out to you at home to share your views and your comments about this. Markwe spoke about the fact that, you know, there's the public sector, there's the private sector. And in order for there to be any sort of corruption, there has to be a relationship between the two. What the State Capture Commission of Inquiry really looked at was state capture uh, in in the sense of focusing a lot on the instrument of of government and then, by extension, the companies that were involved in that. Do you think it's worth our while as a country to have an exercise where we look at private sector, um, you know, corruption or or, or public, uh, you know, private sector involvement in state capture beyond just what we saw uh, with the State Capture Commission of Inquiry. Uh, you know, it's a thought. You tell me what you think. Is it worth our while? 060-552-7303 is the number to dial. 060-552-7303. And another issue that we spoke about just a moment ago, 
Business Leadership South Africa and big business in the country not coming out against those who have been found to have been involved in corrupt relationships with government, but instead actually seemingly shielding them. Your views, your thoughts on that and how it should be addressed. That voice note number once again, 60 Back to us, Makwe. We see China now, I guess... Uh, you know, throwing back their punches following Nancy Pelosi's visit. They have hit Taiwan with trade restrictions. Uh, Tell us about that. You know, Tommy, this is not the first time that it's happening. You know, it did happen before that we saw China uh, banning imports uh, of some of Taiwanese products because of the escalating tension. And we know that the likes of pineapples, they were also unfortunately affected, fish as well. But it's very interesting because you see that they're giving reasons for some of the stuff, whether it's some fruit and some fish, and also the export of natural scent, you know, coming from China to the island. And remember, as we're talking now, China is Taiwan's largest trading partner, accounting for almost 33% of Ireland's total trade with the rest of the world. That was last year. But now the problem here is the guys managed to give some of the reasons. They're mentioning uh, COVID-19 issues, stuff like that. They're mentioning that some of the stuff might not be clean, you know. But why is it happening now? when we've seen the visit by the U.S. House Speaker, and we know that, I mean, in the past 25 years or so, I mean, she's the first to go there when it comes to the leaders of the U.S. But the biggest concern per year is, yes, we can talk about stuff that yes, the guys, they've got what they call natural scent, that whole piquette. Taiwan is telling us that, yes, that accounts for almost 1%. But that gets to be used mainly when it comes to semiconductor chips. Now we need to realize that Taiwan as it is now, that is biggest when it comes to that. And we know that is a vital component, you know, whether you are using it on modern electronics, from cars to refrigerators, including mobile phones. Remember, even before this issue, there have been a problem, especially after the pandemic, that there's a shortage when it comes to semiconductors. So this will worsen the situation. And let alone the fact that this will drive inflation high. Remember as well that there is that passage, you know, where you have a lot of goods coming from Asia going to the West that have to pass there around the street of Taiwan. So if it happens that the tension gets to be escalated, then it's also going to affect the flow of goods and services. Already everybody is complaining about high inflation, whether it has been caused by supply chain constraints because of COVID or the Russian-Ukraine conflict exacerbated the situation. But hey, as it is now, the situation, if it doesn't get to be sorted out you know, on time, then unfortunately all consumers around the world will ultimately feel the impact and short term, we might not, but if this gets to be prolonged, unfortunately, ultimately, we will feel it. There is the economic impact, which you've just highlighted, um, which is, I guess, part of China's retribution for the, the, the visit by um, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But there are also some political implications uh, that are tied to this. There was a press briefing uh, that was held today, which is Wednesday, And uh, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs 
basically, you know, highlighted that there are military operations that are being put in place to, quote unquote, counteract the situation. Tell us more about that. Yeah, the country's military said that the Pelosi's visit that it was launching a series of targeted military operations to counteract the situation. And we need to remember that the Communist Party will undergo leadership reshuffle, you know, and this will be, or we expect the current president to seek a historic certain in power at the meeting. So domestic tensions are high as the country, meaning China itself, has slipped into the lowest growth in more than two years. So because of those COVID lockdown issues, and we know China as it is now, they've got issues with the property market, youth unemployment is almost at a record high. And we also know that some social protests because of the nationwide mortgage crisis and a series of uh, rural bank uh, scandals. So as it is now, we know politically the guy has to make sure that he shows that he has done something so that he can stand in and be elected for the third term in power. And as we said, usually it's almost, usually the guys, they serve for almost two terms, so this will be historic. So yes, there's some serious military or possible military uh, effect in this whole thing. And also, as you said, politically, the guy has to show that I'm in charge. Here it is. I've got this whole thing under control. But unfortunately, that will ultimately have unbearable economic uh, negative effects. Talking about unbearable negative effects commercially and economically, let's take our, our focus now and turn it to France. They are really now trying to, to curb their nuclear output. And this is a direct result of the energy crisis in Europe worsening. Tell us about that. Well, then the situation is just so unfortunate because of the temperatures which are rising. And as a result, they're pushing the water, uh, pushes the river temperatures, bring the energy crisis in the European Union, second largest economy into sharp focus. Remember, Europe's biggest producer, I mean, France themselves, usually they're a net exporter of power for most of the year. Now, unfortunately, they have to import. And the nuclear issues are not just a problem for France, but also for countries such as Germany, which we know they have to start paying more gas to keep their lights instead of preserving that fuel storage for winter. And all this time, unfortunately, it's happening at a time where generally we've got an energy crisis, we know Russia is no longer supplying as much as they were supposed to supply to Europe because of that pipeline. We know that Russia is starting to use the whole issue of gas as an example, as a weapon when it comes to that Russia-Ukraine conflict. And also, unfortunately, this hot weather is not helping the situation for them at all. And now, as it is, energy crisis timing leads to serious economic impact because now that's inflationary in its nature because everything that we do is got an energy need. So whether it's transportation, whatever it is, then prices go up. And we know with inflation getting out of control, then it means all the central bankers, they just have to continue to increase interest rates. And we know that so far we've seen the guys have been very aggressive and that has a potential to keep most of the countries into a recession, even though the likes of the U.S. are in denial that it's not going to happen, even though we've seen that for the past two quarters, the economy has not been growing. So as it is now, 
energy crisis unfortunately affects all of us directly because energy prices as they go up, unfortunately that itself is inflationary. What we're seeing, Mark, we're here is a global trend. We see China retaliating against the visit of Nancy Pelosi. We see uh, Russia retaliating against the sanctions that have been meted out against it. But all of these political decisions and political actions invariably have economic impacts, and we're starting to see it and to feel it in, in, in the world. How much do you believe South Africa will be impacted by this? And if one has to, I guess, uh, look into your crystal ball, what type of time frame are, are we looking at until we, as South Africa, really starts to feel the crunch of these um, economic developments globally? Unfortunately, South Africa were a net importer. So when prices go up, it means we are importing inflation back home here. And as we said earlier, high inflation will lead to high energy prices, let alone a shortage of other stuff, whether it's food or whatever you want to name it, whether it's going to be semiconductors. And then as a result, that will continue to affect our factories back home here because production will be low, because timing will if you don't get the supply of components, then unfortunately you won't be able to produce as a factory. And we know that Ecom here manufacturing accounts for almost 13 to 14 percent of our economy, and it also talks to mining. So now, if we start seeing some signs of slowing when it comes to manufacturing, then it means our economy will probably not grow. And also, we know that we've got our own pressing issues, whether it's load shading or whether it's wage increases. So all I'm trying to say, those factors will continue to be under pressure, also from load shading, also from high wage increases that workers are requesting. So unfortunately, it can easily lead to high unemployment because companies have got a tendency of ultimately giving in to a demand, but after a year or so, they start retrenching. And now when it comes to government, we know that they get money, revenue from taxes, and the biggest component is pay as you are, as you earn. So when you have high unemployment, then it means the government will start earning less, and unfortunately, they won't be able to meet some of their responsibilities, especially uh, what you call it, service delivery, and we've seen recently what is happening when people are too unhappy when it comes to issues of service delivery, they tend to protest. And so far, we know our protest has not been the peaceful ones. People continue to damage the infrastructure. So those who sometimes think that this whole situation might get out of control, mm. I don't think that there is that possibility or nothing is going to happen. But yes, you will end up having an economic issue affecting social issues at the end of the day. And you don't want a situation like that, that you get to a point where now this whole economic issue has turned now into more of a social issue. And people will be right to say things are expensive. But yeah, to some extent, to try to defend our government will be, but what can we do as a government? Because we're not causing those things to go up. But unfortunately, Mr. Government, you are a net importer, and with your weaker rent, whatever you are importing becomes expensive, and maybe you can help by trying to make sure that the economic fundamentals are in place, the structural reforms have to be implemented so that at least your rent can be a little bit strong. So Mr. what I'm saying, there's a certain percentage Mr. Masilela, of those Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it at that uh, for this evening. Unfortunately, our time is up, but thank you for such a comprehensive breakdown of today's business wrap.